Welcome to the City Collective Church Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that in today's message, you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. Hello, everyone. My name is Alonzo Julian Paul, and I am so excited to be with you this Palm Sunday. This is a very important Sunday. It is right before Easter, just as Jesus is making his triumphant entry into Jerusalem on a donkey. And this is such an important time. And to be with you all is such an honor. I just want to say hello, uh, first and foremost, to Pastor Jason and Adriana. We love you guys so much. My wife, Khadija, and I, we love what you're doing with the church. We scroll your Instagram. We look at your website. We look at you guys on YouTube and live stream. It is so exciting and encouraging to see what King Jesus is doing in your midst. And we're just so excited for you all. Keep doing what you guys are doing. And I'm so pumped this morning because I get to join in this series on Jesus's parables. Now, if you have your Bible open or if you're scrolling on your device, I'm going to be looking at Luke chapter 13 verses 18 through 19. And what we're going to be looking at is the parable of the mustard seed. It's going to be a lot and I'm going to try and talk uh, as slow as possible, but it's one of those times where I felt like God was speaking so much in this text to me to share to you guys specifically um, that there's just going to be a lot here. So um, let's buckle in and, and get right into it. I got three points uh, for you all this morning. The first is the shocking message. The second one is the king's kingdom. And the last one is the birds nested. So let me read the text for you all. And let's just jump right into it. Then Jesus said, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and put in his garden, and it grew and became a large tree, and the birds of the air nested in its branches. Now, many brilliant scholars and commentators and so on have spilled a ton of ink explaining how this text in particular, Jesus is speaking parabolically of the inevitable expansion of God's kingdom in God's good world. And it's certainly true. It's certainly about that. Um, but I just don't think that that's the only thing that Jesus is trying to communicate to us through this parable. Jesus often spoke in parables that were richly furnished with Jewish imagery from the Hebrew Bible. That's what you and I would call the Old Testament. And even though this parable is compact, it's only about 50 words, it is not simplistic. Jesus here demonstrates his master storytelling abilities and is masterfully crafting a vehicle for truth. 
Now, this whole genre of parables is, is really, really important for us to understand first, because there's two primary reasons why Jesus would have communicated this frequently in parables. And the two reasons are this. Number one, for those who are intently and honestly listening, parables are rich storehouses of truth. You can mine them for your entire life and continually excavate deep truths and realities. And number two, second reason why Jesus would have talked in parables so much is that it needed, he needed to buy himself time. Much of what Jesus said and did challenge the powers of his day. Jesus was the subversive rebellion par excellence. And parables shrouded the meaning of his words long enough for him to accomplish what he needed to accomplish. And when Jesus began saying, what is the kingdom of God like? Every single person in his audience would have been holding their breath in anticipation. The tension must have been palpable when Jesus started speaking about this. Well, why is that? Well, it's because of the theological, emotional, existential charge of this phrase, the kingdom of God, it was white hot with expectation in Jesus's time. And it was, it was something that for centuries, Israel's poets and prophets spoke about this, this coming of the kingdom of God. A time when God himself would come personally to come and restore his good world. The book of Isaiah uh, from the Hebrew Bible has such poems in it. It has a ton of poems throughout the entire Hebrew Bible, but this one in particular uh, would have been at the forefront of Jesus's audience thinking and would have been feeding into the everyday person's hope of this expectation of God's kingdom coming on earth. I'm going to read for you from Isaiah chapter 40, and it says this, comfort. Yes, comfort my people, says your God. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Behold your God. Behold the Lord shall come with a strong hand and his arm shall rule for him. Behold his reward is with him and his work before him. And listen to this. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Now, in the historical context of Jesus and his audience, they inhabited Roman-occupied Israel. Caesar's Rome completely and utterly dominated the Jewish nation. They ruled them with an iron fist and a fist full of iron, crushing and crucifying anyone who dared oppose them. And so you can 
almost imagine the scene of our text this morning. Jesus says, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? And the audience is holding their breath in anticipation because the expectation at that time was, like I said already, God was to come personally and rescue his people from the oppressive powers with his overwhelming muscular might. You can think of the the Exodus episode where God comes in and rescues his nation and they looked forward to another time where God would do something very similar and it would mean that God would be king. He would rule and reign with justice and righteousness and peace and he would usher in this immediate cosmic renewal. That was the hope. And what a shock to the system it must have been when Jesus says, repent, believe the good news, the kingdom of God is at hand and it is like a mustard seed. A mustard seed? What? Now, this is an agrarian culture and I can't prove this uh, by any means, but I am fairly certain that some within Jesus's audience must have been, you are tripping. Jesus, Rabbi Jesus, that's crazy talk. There's no way that the kingdom of God is going to be like a mustard seed. Now, Jesus's audience must have thought, what good is some tiny, harmless, powerless seed. What can that do for us, Mr. Rabbi Jesus? That isn't cosmic renewal. That's a condiment. However, this is the shocking message of Jesus. And one of the reasons why he spoke in parabolic form, Jesus was not only a challenge to Caesar's kingdom, but to Caesar's type of kingdom. One ruled with the abuse of power, causing suffering and trauma in scores of people's lives. Jesus's kingdom, by contrast, is the antithesis of that. It comes and is like its king. What kind of king is he? In Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly, he points out that out of 89 chapters in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's only one single place where Jesus tears open the veil of his own chest and explains what his own heart is like. And it comes to us in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. And it says this, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is is light. Jesus is not aggressive and oppressive in heart. Jesus is gentle and lowly in heart. 
and likewise his kingdom, the kingdom of God, which is like a mustard seed that is so lowly that if you weren't paying attention, you could easily miss it. And it is so gentle that it does not advance by force or violence or abuse of power. By contrast, it is a safe kingdom because it is like its king. A kingdom not for the powerful and perfect, but for the weary and burdened. In our text today, Jesus is teaching that the kingdom of God is a place of rest for weary sinners. The kingdom of God is a place of rest for weary sinners. Point number two, the king's kingdom. Just look at who invites you. You who are listening today, you sitting on the couch, weak and weary and heavy burdened you. Look and see the saving king's heart towards you. At the very beginning of Jesus's public ministry, he says this, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, because this is the purpose for which I have been sent. Luke 4, 43. In other words, Jesus's purpose is to launch the kingdom of God project. After Jesus announces why he's come in Luke and in Matthew, we get this sermon on the mount or the Beatitudes, as some other writers call it, which is the core teaching of the upside down hierarchy of values within his kingdom to a crowd of poor, heavy laden and sick people, Jesus announces exactly what his kingdom is going to be like. And it reads like this, blessed are the poor in spirit for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep and mourn now, for you shall laugh and be comforted. Blessed are you when men hate you and they exclude you and revile you and cast you out. For the Son of Man's sake, rejoice in that day. Leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great great in heaven. Public intellectual Dr. Stanley Hauravas writes this as he comments on this section. Too often these characteristics in Christian history have turned into ideals and virtues that must be striven for and attained. When we do that, we turn them into formulas that help us gain status and favor with God which is, of course, precisely the opposite of what Jesus is trying to say. 
Rather, they are descriptions. These blesseds that we just read, these are descriptions of the kinds of people to whom Jesus, in fact, first brought the kingdom of God. Listen very closely now. Nowhere does Jesus tell us to try and be poor in spirit or or to mourn all of the time and try and get yourself persecuted. He simply announces the great surprise that these people who are not significant or honored in their society are precisely the ones who have received the honor to be among the first of those who are called into the kingdom of God. End quote. Have you ever felt impoverished in soul? Like there's nothing valuable about you. Have you ever wept and mourned about who you are or your past or the innumerable failed attempts to try and change yourself? Are you so tired that weariness has crept into your bones. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God has come and you are welcome. The kingdom of God is a place of rest for weary sinners. And we see this kingdom like a mustard seed in the story that comes right before the parable. This is super interesting. It starts in verse 10. This unnamed woman who for 18 years has been bent over and it says could no, in no way raise herself up is drawn to this gentle and lowly king. And in her own strength, there was, there was just nothing that she could do to remedy the pain and struggle that she must have been in for so, so long. She was unknown. We don't even know her name. She was unknown, but not unnoticed by Jesus. In verse 12, Luke captures the heart of this king when he writes ever so gently, Jesus saw her. Perhaps when nobody else seen her, Jesus seen her. When no one else noticed her, Jesus noticed her. When she was unknown to everyone else, she was known to Jesus and moments later was restored by Jesus. And the mustard seed kingdom deepens its roots in the world one restored life at a time. Point number three, the birds nested. Returning to our text this morning, the kingdom of God, it's like this mustard seed and a man took it and planted it in his garden and it grew and became a large tree and the birds of the air nested in its branches. Jesus here, I think, 
is taking the opportunity to drive home the point that he just made with this woman uh, that was bent over for 18 years. So he did something indeed. Now he's going to drive it home in word. And it's this and it's this last phrase, the birds of the air nested in its branches, which I want to focus on as we bring this thing to a close. The term birds and nested are significant. Birds in the Bible are often these objects of minimal intrinsic value. Um, in fact, if you were poor back in Jesus's time or in the Old Testament era, if you were poor and you needed to go to the temple to bring a sacrifice in order to obtain forgiveness or spiritual cleansing or moral cleansing and all of those sorts of things, there would be particular sacrifices that were subscribed to individuals per the law. Now, for the poor, some of them could not produce such a sacrifice. It was too expensive. So there was a stipulation made in the law for such cases that if a regular sacrifice was too expensive, then uh, someone that is poor could bring birds. And it's interesting to note that even Jesus's parents, Mary and Joseph, when they first bring Jesus to the temple for the very first time, they don't bring a lamb or a bull or a calf or any of those sorts of things. They bring two birds because of their economic status. And the word now, just hold that in your head for a moment, in your mind for a moment. And the word nested is equally important in Jesus's parable. The word literally means um, to rest or to make a home. And it can be found, and this is very interesting as well, it can be found in Psalm 16, which is a psalm, it's a messianic psalm, and it's written by King David, which speaks of the hope of God's kingdom coming. In verse 9, it says this of the psalm, Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. So what does Jesus mean? By the birds of the air will nest in the branches of the kingdom. He means this, that those weary souls who feel as though they are of little value in the eyes of the world or in the eyes of themselves, that they are welcome to find rest and make a home in God's kingdom. That the valueless are valuable to Jesus, that they are exactly who he came for. And if you feel that way this morning, then you need to know that you are the person that Jesus came for.
Maybe you look in your past and you think there, there is no way that God could love someone like me. If you knew what I have done, then you would say that I have disqualified myself from the love and the welcomeness of King Jesus in his kingdom. That there is no way that I could find rest there. That there is no way that I could build my home there. That Jesus would be disgusted with me if I... I was to come to him, to, to somebody that feels like that. I want you to know that nowhere in the Bible does God ever say that God so hated the world that he sent his son or that he so hated you that he sent his son or that he was so disgusted by you that he sent his son. The only scripture that we can find in our Bibles is that God so loved the world that he gave his son, that God so loved you that he gave his son. Repent and believe the good news that that sort of king and that sort of kingdom has come. And you are welcomed, that you are loved, that you are valuable in that kingdom by the gentle and lowly king Come and find rest. I'm going to close our brief reflection on this parable with a poem. And it's by George Herbert and it's entitled Love. And I think it beautifully summarizes what we talked about here today. And it says this, Love bade me welcome, yet my soul drew back guilt of dust and sin, but quick-eyed love observed me grow slack. From my entrance in, drew nearer to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. A guest, I answered, worthy to be here? Love said, you shall be he. I, the unkind, ungrateful, ah, oh, my dear, I cannot look on thee. Love took my hand and smiling did reply, who made the eyes but I? Truth, Lord, but I have marred them. Let my shame go where it doth deserve. And know you not, says love? who bore the blame? My dear, then I will serve. You must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. And so I did, and eat. Thank you so much for giving me a hearing. I'm going to pray now. And if anyone wants to welcome the gentle and lowly king into their hearts, 
Repent and believe the good news. The king has come and it's this kind of king, a safe king that you can trust with your future. Father in heaven, I pray for all those who are watching here today. I pray God that you would help them to see how beautiful the gentle and lowly king is and how welcome they are to find rest in his kingdom. I pray, Lord, that you would help them to receive now Jesus into their life as their king, as their savior from sin and their friend. I pray this, Father, in the name of Jesus, who lived for us and gave up his life on the cross for us because he loves us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, I've been told that I have to come up with a few questions to share as you guys reflect, maybe at home. And so my very first question would be, maybe you can share with the folks around you how weary and unrested you've been in this season. Because you know what? You're going to discover that you're among friends and that you are not alone in how difficult this season has been. So my very first question is, has there been a time this season that you have felt so weary? And the next question is similar to it. I encourage you to share a time with those around you of how Jesus has given you rest. Maybe you could share with them some practical tips of how Jesus has done that, has taken you from weariness to restfulness. And maybe we can all as a family grow towards this of sharing our sufferings and sharing our pains, but also sharing in what God is doing in our lives. God bless you. Thank you so much for having me. Till next time, take care and God bless you. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it challenged, encouraged, and inspired you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.